electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now, and last call, coming to a boil. Could the United States soon have a military standoff with Venezuela? It has to do with oil, and it's a big deal. Red Hot Homes, cool commercial real estate. A reality check from one of America's biggest developers. Playing hardball, the shockwaves from a sports mega app spreading across streaming. Plus, what would happen if you'd applied a Super Bowl ad inflation to everyday items like those chicken wings? We've got numbers that might blow your mind. And speaking of Super Bowl ads, is dropping $7 million for 30 seconds worth it? Entrepreneur extraordinaire Gary Vaynerchuk says it's a bargain. He's going to join us live to explain why. All that and more over the next hour. So belly up, buckle up, and get your Friday vibes up because Last Call is up right now. Well, good evening here. Good afternoon at West. Hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. And of course, we are live. All that and more coming up in our hour. But first up on Last Call, it was a very good week for your money because the S&P 500 closed above 5,000 for the very first time ever. That is after it briefly touched the milestone just seconds before yesterday's close. Not to be outdone, the Nasdaq tapping 16,000 today. The milestones come ahead of the big January inflation data next week. Today, the December inflation number was revised down. That probably also helped pop stocks. And what a year it has already been. Over 50 S&P 500 companies are up more than 10% already this year. Nine are up more than 20%. But with those big gains come some questions. So we ran a CNBC Pro stock screener. Insert plug for our own network here. It shows the most technically overbought stocks. And it includes names like Eli Lilly, Ralph Lauren. Disney, Boston Scientific, oh yeah, and NVIDIA. Now, of course, this does not mean that stocks are going to fall. Many of these have been technically overbought for a while, and they just keep getting bought, and they keep getting up. Here's a random but interesting stat that you can use to wow your friends at a Super Bowl party this weekend. With its 45% gain already just this year, NVIDIA is now worth more than all 82 companies combined on China's once-mighty Hong Kong Stock Exchange. 82 of China's biggest companies in the Hang Seng combined worth less than NVIDIA. And here's one more. Just 10 years ago, NVIDIA was a $4 stock. It's a $720 stock today for about an 18,000% gain. How about that? All right, joining us now to talk about that and much more, Clio Capital Managing Director Sarah Kunst and 248 Ventures Chief Strategist Lindsey Bell also a CNBC contributor. Uh, welcome, both of you. Thanks for staying late on a Friday night ahead of the Super Bowl. Sarah, listen, stats be darned, not everybody's NVIDIA, but man, what, what is really behind this pretty powerful rally over the last 90 to 120 days? 
Uh, overall, you know, when you look at things like that 5,000 breach that's happening, I think that a lot of it is just the the relief that it feels like, hey, we are going to get rate cuts this year. We are going to see inflation head in the direction we want. Even the revised jobs numbers that came out, there's a lot of good news after it's felt like there has been no good news and the numbers keep going up. There's cash on the sidelines that's excited to jump in. And then on the other side of it, you have those names like NVIDIA that feel like manna from heaven for certain investors who just cannot get enough of those two letters, AI. That's it. I mean, Lindsay, every, are all your clients just like, should I just sell the, ho- sell the house, sell the car, sell the kids, buy NVIDIA? I think they wish they could time travel and buy NVIDIA 10 years know, ago, even five years bucks, ago, right? Oh. <laughs> and you wonder where these giant mansions in like Lake Tahoe come from. You're like, I was an engineer at NVIDIA 10 years. There you go. Right, exactly. But you know what? I think this market is starting to broaden out. If you just look at it on a year-to-date basis, you're seeing healthcare leading, after, of course, after the tech names, Brian, don't get me wrong, but you got healthcare, you got industrials, and you got financials. So we are seeing a broadening out. And I think that the more that we see this market shift from a Fed-driven market, which is still the the, the main driver for right now, once we see that shift more to fundamentals, earnings, and the economy, then we're going to see the broadening happen in four. So what we're talking to our clients about is really making sure they, they took the Fed's cue back in December and started to broaden, their, broaden and more diversify their, their portfolios. Yeah, you just wonder, Sarah, with these kind of gains, we talked about the overbought aspect. There's S&P 5000. I know it's just a number, but the numbers get the headlines. They get, you know, lead billing on shows such as this one. You know, does it should it matter to your clients that the S&P is over 5000 versus 4999? We know psychologically it does. We know logically it doesn't. And I will always pick the psychology over the facts every time. And so the reality is that it does mean something to to people. I think it is fascinating when you look at the fact that it took us, you know, years, over a decade to go from 1,000 to 2,000. I think it was the early 2000s until, you know, almost a decade later to to hit that first number. And so certainly there's almost a Moore's Law effect here, to, to use some tech terminology, where we're seeing a huge acceleration. We hit, you know, 4,000 in in kind of earlier 21. And now less than two years later, we're at 5,000. So does that mean a year from now, we're going to be at 6,000? I'm not betting on it, but I'm sure there are people who think that. Yeah, it took us 16 years to go from 1K to 2K. I think it was four years, 2K to 3K, then two years to go 3K to 4K, and then three to go to whatever. A lot of numbers there. But the market, just the last few years, you know, we, we went up, we went down, we came back up on the S&P 500. Lindsay, would a, you know, we like to see stocks go up, but would a little bit of a pullback here kind of be like a, a pause that refreshes? I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Pullbacks can be very, very healthy for the market sometimes. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with you, Brian. And, and I think the 5,000 level, as much as it is a psychological level, it really can also be an obstacle. It's, it's a nice big round number that looks good to everybody. If we just go back to late 2022 after the October bottom and we were reascending to reach 4,000 again, we had a test breakthrough, break back down, test breakthrough a couple times before we continued on our way to, to 5,000 where we're at today. So it can take a little bit of time and the timing is a little bit 
precarious. If you think about it, we're in February. It's the second worst performing month of the year. It's an election year. And by the way, usually in election years, especially when a sitting president runs, this is about the time of year that, that things start to, to, to take a breather before, you know, uh, consolidating and moving higher eventually into the end of the year. So we're at that time of year. And so I think it could be very yeah. healthy for a bit of a pullback. I don't necessarily think that we're going to get this major correction uh, to the, the people maybe that have a lot of money on the sidelines are looking for. And I don't think it means that you should get out of the market at this point point in time. I just think look for pockets of opportunity in the in those quality stocks if they start to come down. Yeah, you wonder if the gains for the year are happening now because like in six, 2016, ahead of the election, the market just kind of shut down. People sat back and they said, you know what? Don't know what's going to happen. Let's wait it out. Both of you, I want to step outside the U.S. market for a minute and take maybe a little bit of a victory lap. One of my five predictions for 2022 was that the Japanese stock market would start a boom and outperform the S&P 500. There it is. Well, Japan's Nikkei 225 has done just that. Hit a new record today. It is its highest level in over 30 years. Since I wrote my prediction back in late 2021 for the following year, the S&P is up 5%. The Nikkei up nearly 30%. Sarah, obviously, other than congratulating me for my terrific and no doubt just completely wild and lucky production, are you an investor in Japan or other markets outside the United States? We're not the only ones doing well. We, we aren't, you know, we, one, we need a Brian Sullivan index. So somebody needs to spin that one up because they will make a lot of money. Oh but boy. I, <laughs> the reality is that, that, yeah, the world is a global place and we're seeing these really interesting pockets of, of company of countries that have been pretty in, un, unimpacted by what's going on in the rest of the world. Japan's a great example of that. You saw around that corner. Um, and so I personally am looking further afield, even in my private investing, looking more in, or my privates investing, looking more in the, the EU, looking just for, for different places where we're seeing tech pop up. OpenAI, Microsoft, they're huge in America. The reality is with regulatory hurdles in the EU and UK, it's likely that there are going to be companies that pop up in Paris or London or wherever else that are going to sort of take the mantle over there. And that's a lot of money to potentially win. So if you are only looking at the US, especially in a year like this, I think you are missing the bigger picture. Yeah, Lindsay, a lot of countries have done well, not just us, right? I mean, you, you an investor around the world? Yeah, no, I think I think that you have to have a portion of your portfolio invested in in, in foreign asset classes. Um, but I do think the majority. I mean, I'm a domestic player, so I think the majority of, of your of your investment should should be here. But certainly, sprinkle it around the world. There are definitely opportunities, especially when when there yeah. there is uh, a lag in the U.S. Lindsay and Sarah, both of you, thanks for coming on late live on a Friday night. To both of you, I say, dotashimaste. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I actually just said you're welcome. Anyway, it's the end of the week, so let's wrap the week by looking at your studs and duds since Monday. The biggest winner in the S&P 500, Enphase Energy. The stock was just crushed the last few months. The CEO, though, saying maybe the worst in parts of solar and battery stuff was over. That sent the market up. The biggest decliner of the week was FMC, the Philly-based chemical maker, posting its worst week in more than three years. Earnings, guidance, disappointing investors. The chemical sector, by the way, has been a disaster lately. All right, as we said, we are live, and we are just getting rolling here on Last Call and On Deck, pushing all the way to the brink and the border. A dangerous situation unfolding in South America that has U.S. oil potentially at risk. Lima Croft is here with a story you're not hearing a lot about anywhere else. Stick around.
Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, welcome back. It was another week where one major source of energy went one way and another the other way. First up is oil. It rose again. Crude closed just under $78 a barrel. This was actually the strongest week for oil prices since the week of September 1st. Wow. But on the other side, natural gas continues to crash. It fell again today. It closed at just $1.86. That is the lowest since the mid-pandemic. Nat gas hit 10 bucks per unit Back in August of 2022, so in 18 months, it has fallen 81% from its recent highs. Warmer weather, decreasing demand for natural gas. How about this? How about this? You guys know this? It was warmer in New York today than Phoenix. Anyway, that weather sending a lot of supply prices down. Hopefully, by the way, your electric bill will also go lower at some point. All right, let's get out of tomorrow's news tonight, staying on energy-related news. And this is a big story around both oil and national security. Venezuela is reportedly moving troops closer to the border with Guyana. Newly released satellite imagery shared by the Center for Strategic and International Studies showed the troop and equipment movement. You can see it there. Guyana has become an oil-rich nation. ExxonMobil and Hess, which is being bought by Chevron, have a massive offshore oil field. And just a few days ago, ExxonMobil said it's now pumping 645,000 barrels of oil per day. So it's 75 bucks per barrel. That's $48 million worth of oil every day. Now that field you can see there on the map is offshore. It's in the water. But ExxonMobil wants to explore for oil in inland Guyana, in an area Venezuela has been claiming for decades. Earlier this week, Venezuela's defense minister said Exxon's oil exploration plans in the disputed region will, quote, receive a proportional, forceful response. So is it conceivably possible that Venezuela could actually go into Guyana? And if so, what is the U.S. likely to do in response to protect the country? And oh, yeah, basically quasi-American oil. With us tonight for more is RBC Capital Markets, head of global commodity strategy, Halima Croft, also obviously contributor. Halima, we pinged you last minute. Once again, can always count on you. Appreciate it. Without going into the weeds or the, or the jungle <laughs> down there, whatever it may be, there's, this, there's a bunch of court cases and arbitration going on right. between the countries. Do you think this is Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela's, just his basically, he's trying to bully Guyana into altering this this court case or is there a real threat that venezuelan troops go in well the csis report that you referenced 
basically said that the, the goal of Nicolas Maduro is to try to win the game of escalation dominance with Guyana, that you pursue a diplomatic track on the one hand, while at the same time doing a very significant troop buildup in order to essentially bully them into taking their case over this disputed territory away from The Hague and move it to sort of a bilateral conversation. But the risk always is, Brian, is that we have a British warship down there. Brazil has bolstered troops as well in that theater. And you could have some type of escalation through miscalculation. And so that is the concern that you could have some type of conflict because somebody miscalculates. When you have all that military hardware in a volatile situation, we don't know where it's going to lead. You know, I've always said that uh, reading smart people like Lynn McCroft, that poor nations can often be the most dangerous nations. They don't they don't have a lot of money. Right. They don't have a lot of money, but they've got some sponsors. Look at Yemen. Look at the Houthis. Right. Venezuela's got some sponsors, most likely, if you get my drift here. And some of the same sponsors, you know, we have Russia, we have Iran. So it is a very interesting dilemma for the Biden administration. And if listen, this, I, I don't know if there's any risk to the offshore stuff with with Exxon and Chevron and Hess, because, you, you know, you need to either boat or to block boats. But this other oil is inland. I mean, Maduro backed into a corner, one of the most impoverished nations in the world. They've been releasing, by the way, emptying some of their prisons to to go north. He, he could be a dangerous guy. Well, it's interesting to see what happens in the run up to the elections, because the theory of the case in the White House is, is that Maduro would only push this so far because he's been on the receiving end of significant financial relief from this White House. Remember, Brian, end of last year, we pulled back significant sanctions on Venezuela, on mining, and more importantly, on energy, because they said that they would hold good elections. Well, they just disqualified the main opposition candidate from running, and we have yet to snap back those energy sanctions. We've talked about reimposing some sanctions on mining, but not on energy yet. And so the question is, does this theory hold that Maduro has too much to lose by escalating? And America, we're so stretched with everything going on in the Middle East. We're worried about China. You just wonder what what energy do we have left? I mean, human energy to deal with with this if something happens, Salima. I mean, they've sent John Finer down there several times, deputy national security advisor. But I think they're hoping that this, again, is more rhetorical flourish from Maduro, that he wouldn't dare push it. But certainly this would be an unwanted development for this administration, yeah. which is struggling with the situation in the Middle East, which shows no signs of off-ramping if you had a serious security crisis in the hemisphere. Well, hope is not a strategy. And thankfully, there's nothing going on politically, domestically that would uh, take our attention right. away from this. Halima Croft, please note the sarcasm. Halima, have a great weekend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, on deck, we're going to look at what some Super Bowl-related fun things would cost you if... They went up in price as much as these Super Bowl TV ads. Plus, the man behind one of this year's big commercials, entrepreneur extraordinaire Gary Vaynerchuk. He's going to tell you why spending $7 million for 30 seconds may be the bargain of a lifetime. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. 
<laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Let's have some Friday fun CNBC style because tonight's RBI is about the Super Bowl and inflation. Like we said, CNBC style. Because the price for a commercial game or during the game has gone stratospheric. Listen to this. In the first Super Bowl, all the way back in 1967, a 30-second ad would cost a company about $37,500 back then or about $375,000 in today's dollars. Now, a 30-second ad will run you $7 million bucks. So what if the price of everyday items kept up with the price of inflation of Super Bowl ads? Well, Bank of America did the math. Chicken wings, they would be $43 a pound. A six-pack of beer would set you back $340. A gallon of gas, $61 a gallon. The average home price would be $4.2 million. And the S&P 500 wouldn't be at $5,000. It'd be at $16,374. Now, Bank of America, to be fair, did not adjust that 1967 price into today's dollars. So those numbers are probably a little bit inflated themselves. But still, the power of football and TV put in chicken wing form. Random, expensive, and delicious. All right, let's stay on that topic because the price of that 30-second Super Bowl ad is itself nearly doubled in just 10 years. But even with that huge pop, nobody seems to care. Companies are tripping over themselves to buy ad time. Julia Borston joining us now with more on these co- the most coveted of all ad spaces. The most coveted at all. That's right, Brian. The NFL is as big as ever for advertisers. Group M telling us that 20% more of their clients were interested in Super Bowl ads after last year's record 115 million viewers. This year, advertisers are going to be trying to avoid controversy. So celebrities from Lionel Messi to Serena Williams will again be front and center. After last year, 40% of commercials featured multiple celebrities. Expect more ads, including from Elf Cosmetics, targeting female viewers that Taylor Swift has brought to the game. And look for a big jump in candy brands, at least six which is a record. Plus, in addition to the usual beer makers and movie trailers, look out for one unusual advertiser. Chinese e-commerce company Timu will be running its second Super Bowl ad and doing $10 million in related giveaways. That's despite the fact that on Wednesday, 11 Republican lawmakers sent a letter to CBS and its its parent, Paramount Global, urging them not to run the ad, alleging that Timu ships projects made with forced labor. We got a no comment from Paramount. But not all Super Bowl ads are going to be on TV. Streaming only ads on Paramount Plus during the game cost $1 million for 30 seconds, drawing among others Ally Financial, Dannon, and Stokey Cold Brew. Ally telling us, quote, more and more of our target audiences, millennials and Gen Z are migrating to streaming each year. We're being smart with our own money by more effectively engaging our target consumers. Now, this follows the NFL streaming a record number of games this season, a trend we're examining in a new documentary launching today on CNBC.com. It's looking at the NFL's digital transformation and the risks the league has taken to boost and maintain its viewership. Brian? Now we just got to sit back and actually watch the game in the ads. Julia Borston, thank you. All right, another company shelling out big bucks for a Super Bowl ad is 
Pepsi Company and its starry soda pop. And its piece features hip-hop star Ice Spice. It was produced by our friends at VaynerMedia. Check out part of it. Mm, this story is mad good. Thanks, boo. Ice Spice? Wait, who's that? It's my ex, Lemon Lime Soda. You're looking well. I just needed something more refreshing, more crisp. I'm with Starry now. Let's give that a gra, which apparently is Ice Spice's tagline. I'm pretending I know. With us tonight for more... <laughs> On the value of Super Bowl ads is VaynerMedia CEO Gary Vaynerchuk. I remember you, and you were just the wine library guy, Gary. I mean, big time. Well, I, the wine library stuff is still big time to me, brother, but thank you. How are I, you? I, 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 you haven't posted a review, by the way, in a while. You need to get back to that because I would listen. You and I have the same flavor profile. Anyway, listen, congrats. The palette. The, pa- the palais, as I like to call it. Congrats on the ad. Ice Spice. Uh, my daughter tells me is a very, very big deal. Um, is why is seven million dollars for thirty seconds a bargain? Because people actually watch it. You know what we do at VaynerMedia and what I've done my whole career, even how I built that wine show, was where's overpriced attention, where's underpriced attention. And as everybody who's watching this right now knows, most of the ads, whether on traditional mediums or on digital mediums, are not welcomed. We don't want them. This Sunday, everyone wants to watch these ads. And there's really no way in any form to spend $7 million to get 140 million people to watch 30 seconds of a video. I think we do remarkable work on social media, which is where the deal is on doing that. But I couldn't on my best day be able to do that. And so Super Bowl continues to be a bargain at 7 million bucks a pop. Yeah, we and some people, I mean, anticipate the ads as much or maybe even more than the game. I, I would think 100%. that outside of maybe NFL playoffs, I mean, this is a whole different level, I should say, sphere, since you're in Las Vegas. Um, is this the last gasp of linear TV being this relevant from an ad perspective, sort of the, the TV Alamo? Yes. Not Thanks. only that, it's a crazy juxtaposition. It is... The Super Bowl television commercial is the best media buy in marketing. You could screw it up with bad creative and then it doesn't work and it's not worth it, but it's the best media buy. Almost every other television ad, including the AFC and NFC championship game, the Grammys, the Oscars, is incredibly overpriced for the actual consumption. They sell it on potential consumption, the audience of the show, but no normal human actually sits and watches commercials on television anymore. And so not only is it the last stand, the juxtaposition between its value, which I would say is still wildly underpriced at seven million, and every other ad on television being wildly overpriced is a crazy, crazy infrastructure right now in marketing. Yeah, and and you've navigated it as well or better than anybody out there. You saw it early, which is one of the reasons that you're in the position that you are. You went right to the people. You did your wine show. Now you've got your your media empire. So look into the crystal ball if you can then, right? We know what's happening now. What's it going to look like in five years, Gary? Knowing that you have a very smart audience, this is exciting. I got two things for you that I'm very hot on. Number one, live stream selling. Live streaming is exploding and is hitting its tipping point. Twitch, TikTok live shopping, 
the QVCification of social media is on the precipice. It's been going on in China for a long time, but it's coming to the Western world, and I think you're gonna see a lot of the businesses and brands start embracing live stream shopping over the next year or two. And the other one, and this is gonna be super left field, but stick with me here, because I'm gonna recall this clip in six years and say I told you so. Virtual influencers, AI influencers, influencers that are not real people, They look exactly like people with the advancements of AI. Uh, The influencers that aren't real people as a business, the intellectual property of these AI people getting influencer deals the way influencers are now getting deals. The way influencers disrupted Hollywood, I believe AI virtual influencers are about to disrupt in the next decade actual influencers of today. I I totally believe it. And by the way, then you don't have to deal with people. And I don't want any blue M&Ms in my, you know, in the green room or something like this. (laughs) Gary, Gary. You don't have to deal with that stuff. It wasn't the year they they wanted. There was this guy named Aaron Rodgers, an Achilles thing, fourth. It was the most Jets thing ever, fourth play of the first game. You going to accomplish your dream of buying the New York Jets from one Woody Johnson? I'm going to try. No one's going to try harder. Uh, obviously, I don't control every variable. I will work extremely hard on my continued American dream for the next decade or two. Uh, you never know when the Johnson family will be prepared. But yes, it has been my since fourth grade goal to buy the New York Jets and bring a Super Bowl to us diehard Jet fans. And uh, I would love to accomplish that goal and refeel the feelings of January 12, 1969, when the Jets won the Super Bowl. I was negative six. I'd like to see what it feels like. I'll, I'll say this. I, I'm not a fan. I don't really have an opinion. But if Rodgers comes back healthy and doesn't go all crazy, the Jets will not only make the playoffs, they will make it to at least a second playoff game. I'm sure you would agree with me, but we're, we're now time-stamped on linear TV. Gary Vaynerchuk, appreciate it. <laughs> Good stuff. Ice, spice, starry. Have a great weekend and a good time at the game, Gary. Thank you, my friend. All right, take care. All right, coming up, from blazing hot to tumbleweeds, two very different tales are playing out in real estate. You're going to hear one of the country's biggest developers next. Viva Las Vegas and Viva Las Vegas real estate. People are not just betting big on casinos or on the game. They're going all in on Vegas property. According to Zillow, Vegas is the 12th hottest real estate market in this year or expected to be out of 50 major metro areas. The average home value in the Vegas Valley is just over $400,000. Remains affordable. One of the top selling developments is the Howard Hughes Company's Summerlin community. It is also the number four top-selling planned community in all of America. Let's talk more about that and how Vegas is transforming into a go-to business and living destination with Howard Hughes CEO, David O'Reilly. David, it's great to chat. Normally, we see you here, and we talk about your seaport, and we talk about New York. You and your team are, are effectively building a new city just north of Las Vegas, I know Mark Wahlberg moved there. I've met some people that are, you know, very high-end folks that are moving there. How big can Summerlin be, and what kind of demand are you seeing right now? We're seeing demand that is just outrageous. Um, despite higher interest rates, our home sales are up over 45% year over year. 2023 has been nothing short of a banner year here, and we don't see the breaks coming on anytime soon. As you mentioned in the lead, and it's affordable. The income to afford a median-priced home here is about a third of San Francisco, half of L.A., 
And that's been driving so many of the new residents that have come here. I think just as importantly, right now we're seeing more and more companies relocate into Las Vegas, diversifying the local economy away from the Strip. We're hosting an event here tonight with the governor to meet with over 20 CEOs who are thinking about moving their business. As we think Vegas is going to become what we what we think is the STEM capital of the U.S., we define it a little differently in Vegas, sports, technology, entertainment, and media. Uh, but we think it's going to be a, a great event here. The Super Bowl is a wonderful catalyst, and we're seeing businesses bloom in the Valley. Well, okay, back that up a little bit, David. Now, I, I know you know some hitters, and I'm not going to ask you to reveal the guest list. Don't worry. But you said you're, you're meeting with at least 20 CEOs that are thinking mm-hmm. About moving, I assume some of these are probably larger company CEOs? Absolutely. They're large companies. They're small companies. There's everybody in between. It's a quality of life that these CEOs can give their employees that they often can't in some of the gateway cities. You know, of home affordability. Uh, I, we re- relocated a business recently that came out of San Diego, and the CEO told me that over 70% of her workforce didn't believe they could afford to buy a home. And her decision was, we need to move our business to a place that's affordable before I lose all my employees. And I see that trend over and over again. And again, without revealing too much, because now my interest is peaked. And as a, you know, I was born and, and basically raised, lived most of my childhood and early teen years in California. So I do love the state. It's got its challenges. I would presume some of these CEOs are coming from that state or thinking about it. They are. There's a few in the Midwest, a few out of California, a handful out of the Northeast. It's a pretty diverse group. And again, these are a lot of companies that that are interestingly, you know, they fit our STEM moniker of sports, technology, entertainment and media. And as Las Vegas has become that sports hub and probably the sports capital of the U.S. right now between the Golden Knights, the Raiders, the Super Bowl F1, we're seeing a lot of companies that want to be associated with that and be part of that. Yeah, you got Dead & Co. coming to the sphere, and every time I try to get tickets, I'm like 15,321 on the wait list. Anywho, let's talk, about, let's talk about commercial real estate. I know you're mostly in the hot markets. You do have properties, obviously, in New York City. You watch what happened with New York Community Bank in the last week. It popped today, some insider buying, maybe short covering as well. Some people suggest that is just a one-off because they had to change their regulator due to the fact that they got a lot larger. Uh, you got your finger on the pulse of it. Where do we stand with commercial real estate right now, David? Look, I, I, there's a lot of great assets out there that have strong cash flow, but the increase in operating expenses of real estate taxes, of utilities, rents that have not kept up, and higher interest rates are squeezing those assets. Some of those smaller assets are typically financed in smaller regional banks, and we're not seeing those refinancings come. The regional banks are largely out of the market, and there's a void out there of those mid-sized loans at 25 to 75, too small for the big banks, too small for Wall Street. Uh, and unfortunately, with the regional banks out of the market, I think those assets could see some distress. Well, we're going to let you get to uh, get back to or get to the party. David O'Reilly of Howard Hughes Corp uh, building out Summerlin north of Las Vegas. And it is literally and figuratively a Red Hawk community. David, really appreciate it. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank All you. Right, take care. All right. Coming up, Amazon firing a big new shot into the yep, sports streaming wars. We'll get reaction from the former head of ESPN and the NFL Network. But before we go to break, during February, we're celebrating Black Heritage. Here's Intel's Executive VP and Chief Legal Officer, April Miller Boise, on her story. My maternal grandmother was one of six sisters, and they came from Columbia, South Carolina. 
and we called them the Lewis Girls and they were fiercely independent women and I really because of them grew up believing that I could be anything that I wanted to be so having that foundation was really incredibly important. Welcome back. Another day, another big development out of the sports streaming wars. Amazon scoring the rights to an NFL wildcard playoff game next season. That's a first for the company. Now follows 23 million views of the Chiefs-Dolphins game on Peacock. It also comes after news broke of a mega sports streaming app owned by ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery. Here's how Disney CEO Bob Iger described the new venture to CNBC. ESPN has always made a promise to sports fans that it will serve them wherever they are, when, you know, whenever they want. This is a big step in that direction, to serve the sports fan that has not signed up for the you know, multi-channel channel linear TV, or that maybe was disenfranchised and didn't want it. This is a way to do that. Now, the deal initially giving a pop to shares of all three, but only Disney closed the week higher after solid earnings. CBC parent company Comcast and Paramount Global closing the week down. For more on the impact of all of this and try to figure out where it's going, let's bring in Genius Sports North American President Steve Bornstein. He is the, also the former CEO of ESPN and the NFL Network. Steve, it's great to have you on CNBC and Last Call. What do you, what do you make of this Amazon Prime NFL streaming deal? Well, I th- thank you for having me. And, sure. and I think the Amazon deal is, is a really smart extension by the NFL, what they did with Peacock earlier. They are, you know, literally trying to, you know, put their content where their their consumers are, where their fans are. And so putting these kind of uh, this type of inventory on streaming services makes a lot of sense if you're sitting in the NFL perspective, because that's where their fans are. And so it'll be good for them and and easy to access. Listen, I I work for NBC and Comcast. Peacock is our company. I love it. But I, you know, and I have friends, they all know what I do. So they come up to me and some of them were aggravated. They're like, why do I have to download Peacock to watch the game? I said, because that's where the puck is going. I mean, that, that's where things are headed. So you're going to do it now or you're going to do it later. Is that a fair assessment, Steve? Oh, I think so. And also, I think, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to, to Brian Roberts and his team there at Peacock. I mean, they made it work. I mean, it, it is not a trivial pursuit you know, streaming 25 million people watching the game simultaneously. And the fact that they del- delivered it and delivered such great results is a real credit to where they're taking the technology. And Amazon will, you know, will, will enhance that and do it even better. You know, but I guess the argument some make, and you're coming from ESPN and the NFL, is that for people that pay for cable already, they say, well, I'm, I'm paying for cable. Uh, I'm beca- and I'm paying for cable in part because I want to watch my Jets or my Chiefs or whatever it might be. Why do I then have to pay more money to watch something else on a streaming app when I'm already when they believe they are already paying, Steve? You know, where am I wearing my old NFL hat for just a moment? Why not? The fact of the matter is the there is no entity that believes in broadcast television, free television more than the NFL. I mean, all of their games in every uh, home market and away market are, is, 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 is delivered over the air. And, th- and whether whether it's on NBC or whether it's on Peacock or whether it's on Amazon is 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 an additive uh, opportunity. And I don't think it causes any real problem for any any real fan that wants to see it. And it's just a matter of this is where the consumer is. And you should put your content where the people are, are most available to use it. 
Yeah, you truly wonder how these these nego- next negotiations are going to go. I know football's a totally different beast. It's the king, rules everything. It's a ways off. Do you have an opinion on where you see the NBA going, Steve? Because I think the NBA could be a litmus test for the, the NFL later on. No? Well, I, I, whether it's a litmus test or whether it's the evolution of where this content's going, the NBA is up next. Adam Silver and his team are really are really smart and will be doing and slicing and dicing their rights. I think uh, probably different than the NFL because they had such a, a big commitment to the regional sports networks, which out of all of the uh, uh, networks out there has probably received the most trouble the earliest. But let's be candid. I mean, the, well, the undermining pinning of the economics of sports on television is the bundle is the fact that you can, you know, you can get both subscription revenue and advertising revenue to sustain these rights fees. And Adam is going to have to navigate those waters pretty carefully. Uh, I don't think there is anybody that's more confident to do it. And I think it'll be a harbinger of where other major rights, major rights uh, IP holders will, will follow. You know, so smart, and that's why we have you on. I mean, you, you know you got Genius Sports, you got NFL, you got ESPN, literally the entire package, Steve Bornstein, and we really appreciate you coming on Last Call. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Coming up, she's the queen of Las Vegas. Contessa Brewer causing trouble and speaking with some of the superstars <laughs> in this year's Super Bowl and not about sports. I am not causing trouble yet because I've been tied to you all day long here, Brian. But let me tell you what, there is nothing like getting to hobnob with the guys that are going in to play the game, the big day, the Super Bowl, and ask them, when is the Fed going to cut the interest rate? Wait till you hear the answers after this on Last Call. All right, are you thinking about booking a last-minute Vegas trip for the Super Bowl? You're like, you know what? I wasn't going to go, but now nah, let's do it. All right, well, we're going to help you out. We broke down how much it's going to cost you. Now, the cheapest ticket we found for the Super Bowl was $8,000. Of course, you got to tack on probably a couple hundred bucks in fees. And unless you got a buddy that lives in Vegas, you're going to need a room. Well, the rooms aren't as bad, at least on the lower end, as I thought. You can stay at the Circus Circus, perfectly nice, for about 300 bucks a night. For a little more of an ups, oh, for the whole week, it's 300 for the whole weekend? Oh, so there we go, Saturday to Mondays. One of these days, I'm going to learn to read. Circus Circus, 307.17, oddly specific. For the weekend at the MGM Grand, it's $1,449. But if you really want to get bougie, you can get a big room at the win for only, in air quotes, $8,390 so it's what is a bargain at $41.45 per night or whatever. The big game, of course, demands big coverage. Contessa Brewer is in Vegas and also had a chance to chat with some of the players and not just about football. Contessa. Well, because the Super Bowl players clearly, Brian, are living ambitiously like CNBCers. I thought that they would be ready to tackle some of the tough questions that we bring to the table here. And these guys brought their A-game. What's your expectation of a Fed rate cut this year? What was that? I think they're doing a soft landing. Timing-wise? Timing-wise, probably end of the month or early Q2. 
and I hope it happens, honestly. Um, I bought my home last year, so I'm kind of, I missed the train on that. I think towards the later part of this year, maybe Q4, uh, we'll see a rate cut. Obviously, uh, Jerome Powell has continually fought against that, but I think he's just trying to signal the market not to get too hot. Crypto still has a part, for sure. Um, it definitely has slowed down. I was never with crypto and uh, just still learning about AI. I'm into, I'm into more crypto. Yeah. I'm personally not a fan of crypto. I feel like it's too volatile for my uh, portfolio. As far as AI and crypto, I made a couple grand off of NFTs, but then I realized that they were like kind of scammy, so I stopped doing that. Technology is crazy. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if I have a clone sitting next to me in the next couple of years. You invest in the S&P, all of those 500 companies, plenty of them are investing in AI, so you cover your AI basis. You don't got to be too risky. Elon Musk as a leader, yes or no? I think he has shown the ability to build up companies, obviously. Um, he's a little eccentric, and so I could see as a shareholder how he would scare you, but I mean, he's a, a genius. Yes and no, I feel like. I feel like he's, he created the entire company. His ideas are the reason the company exists. Um, but, but at the same time, now I feel like he's, he's ready to move on from it. Which do you think has brought more fans to NFL? Gambling or Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, no doubt. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Um, I think it is sports gambling. Taylor Swift or sports gambling across the nation? I don't know, but that's a deadly combination. Huh? How about that, Christian McCaffrey? Remember 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy was picked last in the draft in 2022? I asked him whether being underestimated as a long shot was actually an advantage, and he said, yeah. He has something to prove, which might be a lesson for a lot of the people who want to get some advice from the football players for their business lives, Brian. Mr. Irrelevant could win the Super Bowl as a quarterback. Truly, that is relevant but interesting. What are your plans for the weekend, Contessa? What are you going to be doing? Uh, um, well, I'm, you don't have I've to got say. now some socializing. No, no, I've got some socializing to do because a lot of the people in companies that I cover want to have some more conversations and I'm eager to get them you know like if you get some good juice if you wait a little bit and move the night later see how much people are willing to tell you I don't you know my take on my take on on Vegas is 36 hours don't sleep boom boom but you know Vegas doesn't have a night I don't feel like Vegas has a morning or a night time just stops so it does have it both it, it has a morning and it has a night and also I've done a lot of much more than two or three days here and I will tell you it's a great place yeah. to be for longer than was, a long weekend. Yeah, there you go. Was that lover boy? Everybody's working for the weekend, and so is Contessa Brewer. And we appreciate it. Some people are working on the weekend. Thank you, yeah. Contessa. Thanks, everybody, for watching. <laughs> sure Have a great thing, Super Brian. Bowl Sunday. We'll see you. American Greed is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.